Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Everything is possible for one who believes. Welcome to Faith Matters. Okay, we are in the Book of Signs. This is by Dr. David Jeremiah, and we are going to continue to take a look at his book. This is Chapter 9, Persecution. 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse by Dr. David Jeremiah. And we're going to break it down, read a little bit of it here and there, comment on his thoughts, and this would be covered, of course, under the Fair Use Act for copyright. And as always, we give Dr. Jeremiah credit and encourage everyone to purchase his books and follow his programs. So tonight, it's persecution. Is there really persecution? Well, that's going to be one of the questions, but let's get going on it. America was founded on Christian principles. The Declaration of Independence recognizes that God is the source of human rights and freedom. Quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Today, the concept of freedom has degenerated into the elimination of virtually all moral restraints. Christianity is being edged out because its adherence to biblical morality is at odds with the philosophy of unrestricted freedom that now dominates America's cultural landscape. As Dr. Paul Nyquist noted, we're witnessing an epic change in our culture, a spiritual climate shift threatening to reshape life as we know it. Hostility and intolerance are replacing tolerance. Rejection and even hatred are pushing aside acceptance. Get ready, he says. As cultural changes sweep our country, we'll soon be challenged to live out what the Bible says about confronting and responding to persecution. Well, that's a good introduction there, right after his story that he usually leads with. For time purposes, we went straight to just portions of the first section. Now we're going to look at the first subtitle, The Substance of Christian Persecution. You may wonder whether persecution is too strong of a word to describe what is happening to Christians in America today. But Christianity Today magazine reminds us that most persecution is not violence. Instead, it's a squeeze of Christians in five spheres of life. Private, family, community, national, and church. We should not assume, however, that everything bad that happens to us is persecution. Persecution is only trouble that occurs for righteousness sake. Matthew 5.10 Sometimes our own stress, sin, or bad choices bring difficulties into our lives. 1 Peter 4.15 To be persecuted for righteousness sake means that we are opposed or suffer solely for following Christ. I completely agree with that, Dr. Jeremiah. The next subtitle, The Stages of Christian Persecution. To show the extent of the persecution problem, let's look at five stages of religious suppression occurring in our nation today. Stage 1. Stereotyping. Today, Christians are often stereotyped 
as ignorant, uneducated, inhibited, homophobic, and intolerant. Movies and television usually feature a Christian as an antagonist, a holier-than-thou bigot who judges others harshly. While it's true that some professed Christians represent the faith poorly, these stereotypes do not reflect the reality of authentic Christianity. They grow out of the rising cultural prejudice against the Christian faith. Our duty is to live our convictions in a way that shows these slanderous depictions to be gross distortions of the truth. Stage 2. Marginalizing Many secularists want Christianity to be displaced from the center of American life. If the church must be allowed to exist, they want it confined to the realm of personal privacy. That is why public prayer must be forbidden, Christians' influence in public policy eliminated, and Christian holidays secularized. Christians must be excluded from positions of power and influence, which includes politics, academia, entertainment, and the media. Stage 3 Threatening. Banning religious expression with academic, institutional, corporate, or public arenas is not enough for many secularists. They are determined to make Christians pay the price even when privately performing actions that conflict with the progressive agenda. Dr. Jeremiah goes on with an example of each one of these as I read through them. Make sure you pick up his book, The Book of Signs. Stage 4. Intimidating. In 2013, the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, sued Mercy Health Partners, a Catholic hospital, because it did not offer abortion services to a client experiencing a difficult pregnancy. As noted in National Review, quote, the issue is not whether those who wish to avail themselves to certain services will not be able to, but that those who object to them must be forced to participate, end of quote. Stage 5. Litigating. A growing number of Christians are being taken to court for refusing to compromise their Christian convictions. Many have paid heavily for standing by their convictions. Some have lost their life savings. Others were forced out of business and were into bankruptcy. And several even received death threats from activists. Unless there is a major turnaround, we can expect lawsuits and court judgments against Christians who practice their faith to escalate. I agree with Dr. Jeremiah there. And that was evidenced by the attack on Judge Kavanaugh and everything that's going on today. Those are the five stages. I'll repeat them for you real quick. Stereotyping, marginalizing, threatening, intimidating, litigating. Why does the gift of salvation encounter such persistent opposition? It's because along with salvation comes submission to God. But since humanity's fall, people have resisted submission to any power outside self. They demand freedom to define right and wrong for themselves. Christian behavior angers non-Christians because it makes them feel judged. It resurrects the moral accountability that God planted in every human heart. But as Paul wrote, the existence of God and the tenets of natural law are too obvious to be suppressed. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, so that they are without excuse. Romans 1.20 When Christianity arouses the consciousness of non-Christians, their response is seldom to accept the message, but rather to silence the messenger. 
This is why persecution has been a persistent counterpoint to Christianity. Persecution in the New Testament begins shortly after Christ's birth and does not end until the final chapters of Revelation. Here are a few of the most notable examples. King Herod. Fearful of reports that a prophesied king had been born in Bethlehem, he tried to protect his dynasty by killing all the male babies born within the prophetic time frame. Matthew 2, 1 through 26, 1 through 16, excuse me. 2. John the Baptist, the first public proclaimer of Christ, was beheaded by Herod's son, Herod Antipas. Mark 6, 25 through 29. The Jewish people angered over Jesus' message, tried to kill him before their successful crucifixion plot. So many examples of that. Peter and other apostles were arrested, beaten, and imprisoned for preaching Christ. Stephen was stoned to death for preaching Christ. The first Christian converts living in Jerusalem fled persecution by the Jewish leaders. All the apostles died violent deaths at the hand of their persecutors, except John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos and wrote revelations for us. Paul was imprisoned, stoned to death, almost, stoned almost to death, five times beaten within 39 stripes, three times beaten with rods, run out of town, and often hungry, cold, and without adequate clothing. 2 Corinthians 11, 22-29 Soon after Pentecost, many Christians were forced to leave their homes and faced imprisonment or death. Did this make them bitter, unhappy, or regretful? Instead of bemoaning their faith, Luke tells us that they formed a flourishing, supporting community. Quote, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he had possessed was his own, but they all had these things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. End of quote. Acts 4, 32 and 33. Persecution increased their dedication and made them bolder in proclaiming the truth. It is an inspiring example for us today. Persecution of Christians in History In the first century, Romans under Nero burned Christians on stakes and fed them to lions for area entertainment. Later, the Roman Emperor Domitian declared himself to be Lord and God and executed Christians who refused to worship him. Other empires, nations, and religions have also taken up the sword against Christians. 17th century Japan made Christianity illegal expelling missionaries and executed converts. 18th century China made Christianity illegal and persecuted Christians severely. The French Revolution of 1789 outlawed Christianity. Clergies were banished or killed. Churches were desecrated and all semblances of Christianity were removed. The Ottoman Empire had a long history of persecuting Christians. Estimates of Christian deaths during the history of the empire run as high as 50 million. And after the Russian Revolution of 1917, churches and Christian teaching were made illegal. The state confiscated all church property. Millions of dissenters were executed. Now on to persecution of Christians in today's world. In 2018, in one month in the fall, these startling headlines screamed in the news. At least seven killed 
in attack on Christians in Egypt. 80 lashes and other brutal sentencing for Christians in Iran. China shutters six more Christian churches and tears down crosses. These are not isolated events. Every month in our modern world, 255 Christians are killed. 104 Christians are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. Every month in our modern world. As you can see, these statistics are crazy, and I know there are things going on even worse since 2018. Now, what are the side effects of Christian persecution? How should Christians in the United States react to persecution? Our first response might naturally be anger, but the New Testament gives us more constructive response. The early Christians suffered severe persecution, but we don't find them responding in anger. On the contrary, they found positive benefits in suffering. Paul told the Philippian church, quote, To you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29 Paul made suffering sound like a gift. Really? The natural impulse is to say we'd like to return it. But to reject suffering is to miss out on enormous blessing. Let's explain just what this means. So, let's go with this. Suffering promotes character. Although persecution is inflicted by enemies of God, we can use it to mold us into greater Christ-likeness. As Paul told us, we are glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Contrary to what we often hear, to the call to follow Christ is not a call to an easy life. No way. As John Ortberg put it, Quote, God isn't at work producing the circumstances I want. God is at work in bad circumstances to produce the me he wants. End of quote. And suffering provokes courage. Courage reflects Christ's character in adverse circumstances. It is the crucial virtue that Christians must deploy when facing cultural demands that conflict with biblical teaching. After Paul's conversion, his life became a sterling example of this kind of courage. As he wrote to the Philippians, I eagerly expect the hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 20-21 Suffering provokes godliness. A.W. Tozer wrote, To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. As Paul put it, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 It's a matter of simple logic. Why would the enemies of Christianity bother anyone who is not displaying the nature of Christ? Suffering produces joy. When we realize the purpose and positive results of suffering persecution, it can also become a source of joy, as it was for Paul and Silas when they encountered opposition. In Acts 16, 22-24, they were arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. Then we read, 
at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These disciples, beaten and imprisoned without a trial, were so joyful, they burst into song. This tells us that the source of joy of our relationship with God and that relationship is affirmed when we courageously endure persecution. Very good advice. Suffering provides rewards. The scriptures abound with promises of rewards for those who endure suffering. Often we allow these future rewards to be obscured by immediate gratifications. Hmm. Moses was willing not only to turn his back on immediate pleasure, position, and power, but also to suffer affliction in order to receive the promised eternal reward. Remember, Moses raised as a prince in Egypt's royal palace. He had access to riches, pleasure, status, and power. But as the Bible tells us, by faith Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Hebrews 11:24-26. Moses was willing to give up the earthly for the heavenly. What are some of the rewards promised to those who endure persecution, you might be asking? They will be avenged. They will be given perfect and abundant lives free of sorrow. They will find eternal rest. They will receive the crown of eternal life. They will have no more death to fear. These are just a few of the rewards that await those who suffer persecution for Christ's sake. Paul wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In Romans 8.18 So that hopefully gives us the strength to face Christian persecution. Many Christians have not yet faced serious opposition for their beliefs. When we are untested, we wonder just how strong we will be when it's our freedom, our job, or our pocketbook on the line. Paul knew the importance of preparing his converts for suffering. He said to the believers in Thessalonica, We sent Timothy to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, and that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For in fact, we told you before, when we were here with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2-4 Let's look at three things we can do to prepare for that moment when persecution comes. 1. Determine to stand for truth. To live worthy of the gospel is to stand for God's truth without bending. As Paul urged the Corinthians, we are to watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. Whatever we are, we are called to be God's agent at that time and place. Whatever the situation, our task is simple. Don't think about the cost or the result. Just think about what you decided in advance that you would do when you are tested. It is our duty to speak out for biblical truth when it is attacked. But it is also our duty to confront with love, taking care that we do not justify the labels of hate and intolerance. Number two, draw support from one another. When we are under attack, having a supportive group of people who share our beliefs makes resisting progressivism easier. This is why regular church attendance is critical 
to a healthy Christian lifestyle. By attendance, I mean more than just showing up on Sunday morning. Attend classes, serve others, become involved in outreach, and participate in fellowship. The church needs you, and you need the church. Number three, derive your security from the Lord. The key to standing firm in the face of persecution is to remember that we belong to Christ and He secures us in His hand. Thus, we need not fear danger in our reputations, our jobs, our finances, or even our physical lives. As Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16.25 We also draw courage from knowing the glory that awaits us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Determine to stand for truth, draw support from one another, and derive your security from the Lord. Dr. Jeremiah ends the chapter with an example from John Chrysostom, an archbishop from Constantinople, but he was martyred. So, But it's not likely that Christians in America will soon face martyrdom, but we can draw courage from martyrs throughout the centuries and Christians who are now enduring severe persecution in other countries. If they can stand strong in the face of torture and death, we should be willing to stand strong in the face of the Christian repression that is rising in our nation today. Excellent way to end the chapter there. The Book of Signs by Dr. David Jeremiah, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. We always like to end our program with the simple plan of salvation. Andy and I, our youth leaders, have been for a long time, and we learned a long time ago the ABCs. Maybe you can remember that too, and if you give your life to Christ, that would make 10,000 angels in heaven rejoice. And it would make us happy. And it would save you from eternal damnation. The ABCs are simple. It's admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died for our sins and that he is Lord. And C, confess to the world that he is your Savior and realize that Christ died for our sins once and for all, all of them, past, present, and future. Once was enough. And Christ was the ultimate sacrifice that made it possible for you to have eternal salvation, eternal life in Christ rather than the eternal pit of hell. ABC, admit, believe, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you for listening, and may God bless. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then the God of peace will be with you.